Welcome back to the Boots on the Ground pod alongside Ben Conroy. I am Essex Thayer. And, and Ben, I want to start off by saying nine days in between games for Wake Forest basketball is way too long. The Monday game against North Carolina, then having to wait till Wednesday for the next basketball game against Pitt. It's far too long for my books. I was thinking about that on the way to class today that I'm starting to get a little stir crazy in between games. It's just too long. Yeah, the the break itself is one thing. Nine days in the middle of a season seems random and arbitrary and doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But the other part of it is that you didn't go into the break on a happy note. You go in after that sort of second half collapse against Carolina that I'm sure the whole team wants to forget. And I would imagine that as a result, come, you know, we're going to we're going to dive into the pit game here on Wednesday night. And I imagine come Wednesday night, Wednesday night up in Pittsburgh, you will have a very motivated Demon Deacon squad ready to sort of wash that taste out of your mouth. We'll have pit preview on this podcast. If you want to listen to our discussions on the UNC loss, we have a, an episode out about that episode 26 that came out on January 26th, have a podcast on the UNC loss in Chapel Hill last Monday. And now we'll talk pit. But before we do that, Ben, I do want to discuss one quick tom- topic. And it's something that, that Steve Forbes brought up Monday on the weekly ACC media slash coaches call. And it was the perceptions of the conference. It's kind of been a a constant thread. A lot of coaches have discussed this, not just Steve Forbes. I think multiple coaches brought this up on Monday and it's about the, the discussions of how many teams are going to get bids to the NCAA tournament. I mean, it's the end of January Selection Sunday's a long ways away from now, but you have one of the biggest names, one of the biggest voices in all of college basketball, John Rothstein, tweeting out that with a a Clemson loss, them losing at Duke in a highly, highly contested game in Cameron Indoor, that the ACC is potentially a two-bid league. And from people who have been here and been ACC fans for far, far longer than the two of us, the thought that the ACC could be a two-bid league must be like saying, I don't know, take any conspiracy theory, any big crazy idea, and that for them that might be even worse, uh, that the ACC is a two-bid league. But somehow that that narrative is now out there, and the coaches have done a lot to dispel it. But it's – and this narrative has been going on for a couple of years now, Ben, that the ACC is down. And for, for some reason it keeps going further and further down in the eyes of the, the national media. Well, yeah, I, you know, I think, I think the perception has sort of, you know, persevered in a way that those around the conference, obviously were hoping that it would not. I think North Carolina going to the national title game and then immediately not having such a great year afterwards probably didn't help the conference's perception, um, you know, on a national scale. But more than that, just the the metrics really, really do not like the ACC, just by and large. There's just fewer quad one opportunities to be found in the conference. And, you know, that can be looked at as a flaw in the metric system. But yeah, it's just, it makes it really hard sort of You know, it makes Steve Forbes talks about this all the time. It makes winning the right games in the conference even more important when it's not, you know, the Big 12 where you can go and find a quad one game in pretty much any conference game that you play. That's really not the case in the ACC. Um, You know, I think 
projecting this conference to be a two bid league is kind of ridiculous. Honestly, I, I, I feel almost certain that that will not end up being the case, but you know, who knows? And it's just the, you know, the, the metrics clearly have conferences that they favor more conferences that they don't. And the ACC has fallen out of favor with, with the metrics. And it's been that way for, for quite some time. I mean, I'm not going to pretend like the ACC is the, the bell of the ball anymore. Like I'm not going to sit here and create more in my opinion, false narratives, but I think there does have to be a discussion that some of these narratives are irresponsible and they're, I think not factually fair. I mean, you mentioned how the ACC is performing against other conferences just today with the, the new set of net rankings, the ACC is one of three conferences with at least six teams in the top 50 of the net. You got UNC, Duke, Clemson, Virginia Tech, Wake Forest, and Virginia. It's just one of three conferences with at least six teams in the top 50. So it's not like there isn't high-level competition occurring in the ACC, and it's not like there are not a lot of teams that can compete for an NCAA tournament bid, and they are the quality that they could perform well in the NCAA tournament. And so just a, a point on this, and I saw this out on, on Twitter today and then was looking at it um, on Torvik. So Brian Ives tweeted that the ACC has a 75% chance per Torvik, which is a, a one of the, I would consider like the top three metric systems out there to go with net and Kempom, a 75% chance to get four or five bids to the NCAA tournament per John Rothstein's tweet about the two bids Per Torvik, the ACC has a better chance of getting seven bids than two bids. So it's early. It's January. We're, we haven't even hit February yet. We're close. But I think even if they're right, even if the ACC is not the premier conference anymore, even if they they don't have as much power at the top, like I think UNC is really, really good. I think Duke is solid but not the, the star power at the top that the ACC is used to creating these narratives through the national media that the ACC is a inferior conference and having that kind of permeate through the rest of the national media. I think it affects the NCAA tournament. I think those narratives do have an impact. And so I just think it's, it's irresponsible and the SEC has its own propaganda arm in the SEC network that really pushes their narratives. And I think the ACC hasn't seen the same level of support and it's seeing a lot of negative coverage coming from the national media. And so I think it's going to have an impact and I think it's an irresponsible thing to do, but I, I'm not sitting here arguing that the ACC is like the best of the best anymore. I'm not saying that, but I think that saying that they're a two bid league is just, it's just wrong in my mind. And I don't think the ACC is going to be a two bid league. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. I think, you know, I think part of the problem with the way that the national media covers the ACC is that there's just such a clear lack of respect for, you know, the, the middle tier of the conference. I do think there's still solid national respect for, you know, the front runners at the top of the conference, obviously you have your Dukes and your UNC and, you know, for God's sakes, Miami went to the final four last year. So, you know, you have the, you have that group of teams that is respected, but I think the problem is there's, there's very little, you know, 
like you said, there's just the, the SEC has its own sort of, you know, propaganda arm that's pushing out that coverage. And just I, I just think on a national scale, people don't really think the middle to the bottom of the ACC is very good. And and as a result of that, when, you know, these middle to lower ACC teams go on the road and upset, you know, good example of it the other day, pick goes into Cameron indoor and wins that ends up kind of being a net loss for the ACC on a national scale. Because I think what happens in that perception is it's not that Pitt might actually be better than their record is showing. It's that Duke is worse than theirs is showing. And that sort of hurts the entire perception of the conference. That's not always, you know, that's not always the case. I think in other conferences, I think like, you know, take Arkansas for, you know, as another example, Arkansas had all the hype in the world coming into the season and they really struggled They're you know, don't have a great conference record right now. But I think, you know, if they go in and they say they beat a Kentucky team on the road, I, I don't think that is perceived as much of a knock against Kentucky as saying, Hey, you know, Arkansas might be finding its stride. So I think there's just sort of a difference in perception there and that people just think that the, the mid to, to low teams in the ACC are just really bad and that when the better teams in the conference lose, it's not looked at as the product of having a difficult conference schedule. It's looked at as uh, these front runners in the ACC aren't actually that good and them losing to these, you know, lesser teams through a gauntlet of a conference schedule is more indicative of the fact that they don't really have a very high ceiling. And that is a really tough perception to overcome in the middle of the year. And I'm honestly not sure what the answer is, but, you know, just, you know, having been around ACC basketball for the past couple of years, it's not like there's not a very high quality level of basketball being played night in and night out. I think you and I would both agree on that, that you go and watch these games in person and, I think the ACC is still a power conference, but I just think, you know, I think two saying the ACC is going to get two bids is ridiculous. I think saying seven is probably also unlikely. I think the truth likely is somewhere in the middle. Like you said, that four to five number seems about right to me, but saying two is just, it's just ridiculous in my mind. The way I see it, it's a battle to get to the double buy, the double buy for the ACC tournament being one of the top four. And so just before we move on to that point, kind of a reset in the the mind of Wake Forest and the perception of Wake Forest, both in the broader kind of national scheme, but also within the Wake Forest fan base, per Torvik, Wake Forest right now has a 60% chance of reaching the top four. And per Ken Palm, Wake Forest is projected to tie for third place in the ACC with Florida State. Kempom has it where it's going to go North Carolina, Duke, and then Wake Forest and Florida State tied for third. And in that scenario, Wake Forest would be fourth because of its loss to Florida State. But basically, as it stands, both Kempom and Torvik like Wake Forest chances of reaching that top four, of getting the double bye. And I can't tell you the top off the top of my head the last time Wake Forest got a double buy. But in my mind, you get to that double buy as long as you don't have any glaring errors. In my mind, the, the Q3s and the Q4s, those losses, then you should be going to the NCAA tournament. For Wake Forest to do that and for them to prove their case to go to the NCAA tournament, something we've talked about ad nauseum on this podcast, it's going and getting good big-time wins on the road. And there's an opportunity to do that Wednesday night against Pitt against Pittsburgh. It's has the potential to be a quad one win. 
there last I checked about in that kind of 69, 70 ish range for net. And as long as that holds, you know, things can change throughout the season, but that's a quad one win. So if Wake Forest can get it, but it's not going to be easy, Ben, to go win at Pitt. Just look at last year. Yeah. I mean, you and I made the road trip for that one and Wake lost an absolute heartbreaker. Blake Hinson, as he has a penchant to do, went absolutely nuts from the three-point line. Um, I believe that that game came down to the final possession. I think Tyree Appleby had a last-second three. A decent look at it that, that sort of clanged off the rim. I bring up the stat a lot. That was one of seven games that Wake Forest lost by exactly two points last year. It's, that stat still amazes me about last year teams, and I know it was very infuriating for Steve Forbes. But this Pitt team is playing some some good basketball right now, I think. Having watched some film on them, obviously they – um, they just, you know, went into Cameron Indoor recently and, and beat a very, very good Duke team. Um, so, you know, before we really get into this game, Essex, I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to say that if Wake Forest wins this game against Pitt, it becomes their most important win of the season. Not their best win of the season, not even maybe the win that will mean the most at the end of the year, but for right now, I think it becomes their most important win because this Wake Forest team is 1-4 and four on the road this year. Their one win came against Boston College, and that win did a great deal to energize the program. But after that, you know, shortly thereafter, Wake Forest went into, you know, so they win that game against Boston College. They come home, and then they they beat Miami in overtime. Great game. And then they really haven't shown that consistency on the road since then. You lose to Florida State in a rough performance. You lose to NC State in a bad second half. So I think if Wake can find a way to win this game and win it, maybe even in a decisive way, I think it becomes their most important win of the season as they sort of enter, you know, the real grind of this conference schedule. I absolutely agree. Steve Forbes talks all the time about winning the right games at the right time. This feels like one of those games. I think simply from a, from a metrics standpoint, it's going to be important, but I completely agree with you that it is, kind of for for the for the makeup of the remainder of Wake Forest season, really important. If you can get things back on the right foot, and we mentioned this in our prior podcast, get things on the right foot with an away win at Pitt, then you set yourself up for where you've got Syracuse at home, Georgia Tech away, NC State at home. Three equally critical games afterwards, where if you can do well and get the right results in those four games, then you go into a stretch where you go, back-to-back away at Duke and Virginia with a really good feeling going on. Because if, if you lip, if you limp into those games, then Wake is, is going to be in trouble because it's not going to be easy to win at Duke and it's not going to be easy to win at Virginia. Just like that in a snap, this season can start to really take a, a, a dovetail down to the ground and the season can end pretty fast. So winning at Pitt, I completely agree with you. I think it complete, completely changed the course of Wake Forest season and, and set them on, on the right path for, for the remainder and that stretch run to the NCAA tournament. You mentioned the history about last year, just looking back at it, because I wrote my preview on Pitt today. So Wake trailed that game by 10 at half, and then Wake raced back. They took a one-point lead with four and a half minutes to go. But then afterwards, the Deeks only scored five points. And so Pitt went on to win. The Panthers made the NCAA tournament and won two games there in the first four in the first round. And Wake Forest season ended in Greensboro at the ACC tournament. So 
it's another indication of some of those second half troubles. You can't have that same set of issues in the second half again. Pitt, I don't believe, is a an incredibly strong team, but they are, you know, a solid one. They're they're pretty balanced efficiency wise per Kempom. They're 80 in offense, 56 in defense. They're an average shooting team, but you know, they they defend pretty well. Um they teams really struggle shooting against Pitt. They've got an effective field goal 47.6%. So while Pitt isn't a high scoring team, they don't allow you to score a whole lot of points as well. And just before we, you know, get going into the lineup, it's one of the interesting things about this game that I wrote down, Ben, is, is the fact that you've got two very, very different basketball teams here in that Wake Forest is a team, as you said before, that has struggled incredibly on the road in ACC play. You know, you got that Boston College win, but otherwise some really, really tough results. And then you have a pit team that is not one in the ACC at home this year. They've gone three and one away from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, but they've gone 0 and four at home. It, granted, those losses are it's Clemson, North Carolina, and Duke, but you also have mixed in an 11 point loss to Syracuse at home. So you have a, a team that struggles to win against or win on the road against a team that struggles to win at home. So for a game that Wake Forest, we've said it's a, it's the right game at the right time. And it might get their season back on track. If they can get this job done, you, you kind of like that. You're going to a place where team is really struggling to win ball games. And, and also it's a team that's struggling to play consistent basketball yeah this team this pit team is is really interesting they're they're pretty sporadic i think is kind of the best way to describe them because of the sort of firepower that blake hinson brings he's really the guy that you know lifts them from a mediocre team on any given night to a team that can win some games in this conference i feel like watching watching them play he has you know, he has incredible range against Miami. He hit a three just, you know, no fewer than six feet behind the line. He went seven of seven from three at Cameron Indoor. He plays a really fearless brand of basketball, which I think is kind of, you know, the difference. He, not afraid to shoot, not afraid of the big moment, has, you know, is that guy that can get you 25 in a night on a ridiculous shooting percentage. So that to me is what, you know, lifts this team up from being sort of a team that can, that would really be one of the poorer teams in this conference to a team that can potentially, you know, be a hard out for you at home or on the road and maybe even come ACC tournament time. But yeah, they're, this pit team's interesting. Like you said, they defend pretty well. They're, they're, you know, the third ranked defensive team in the conference. They only allow 66.9 points per game. That's just behind uh, Notre Dame and Virginia. So, you know, pretty good. And I think you saw it even in the second half when they played Miami, you know, they held they held Miami to only 72 points on their home court. That's not easy to do. That Miami team is outstanding on offense. So, you know, this pit team, I like their guards a lot. Um, you have Ishmael Leggett, who I think is is, you know, a strong guard. I, I like the way their guards play in transition. They they play really strong and they're good at attacking the hoop and sort of finishing at pace, which I think is an important skill to have in this conference. You know, you don't have a ton of guys that are shooting the three ball at a high clip. Obviously, Blake Henson shooting 41%. Other than that, you know, you have you have guys that can make shots. And what I noticed about when they won that Duke game is that they just played not afraid of the moment at all. 
So I think, you know, when the, when these guards get playing with confidence, when they get on a roll offensively, they are a hard team to stop. Wake saw that last year. Pitt, you know, obviously Blake Hinson had a great game for Pitt last year, but I think Pitt had 18 threes, I want to say, against Wake Forest last year, something like that. So they are sort of, you know, they're, they don't do a ton of things exceptionally well, but they are that kind of wild card, and then they can provide a really challenging night for you defensively. I agree. The the three pointers are are kind of the key for that pit offense if they're going to score points. You know the the three point percentage isn't great as a team. It's it's right around average in the NCAA, but thirty seven percent of Pitt's points are coming from behind the arc, and that's well within the top fifty in college basketball. They are you know, when they can th- get things going from three point range, that's how they win basketball games. We talked about Blake Kinson. that's seven for seven effort against Duke. When you have a player who can basically put the team on his shoulders to go win a game at Cameron Indoor, that's really tough to, to prepare for and to play against because it's a team, as we said, that's not, not really a super good basketball team, but they have a couple guys who when they're at their best can really take them to another level and make them far more competitive. I mean, Blake Hinson's averaging 18 points, 32 minutes a game. And he is that three point guy. I mean, he's hit 68 of 166 attempts and he can go unconscious uh, from three. I mean, he can change the game. Did it against Duke, did it against a couple other opponents uh, this season and it, it's funny because the, the three points kind of come from the forwards a little bit more. They have another forward, Zach Austin, where nearly half of his shot attempts all season are three-pointers. And though he's not hitting them at a super high clip, just over a quarter, you've got a guy who can another three and D type guy. But you mentioned the guards. I, I'm also impressed with the guards too. You mentioned Ishmael Leggett, and he's a guy I was, I was going through some of the, the work from the, the pit media, specifically Stephen Thompson, with our, our friends back at, at fan nation, a, a throwback to the day. Um, but fan nation pit, Steven Thompson was saying that, that Leggett, you know, he hasn't started because he's been coming back kind of from an injury. Um, so he started the 14 games, but has been supporting pit off the bench for the past five, but he's a really big talent. And then you have two freshmen starting at guard for Pitt. You have Jalen Lowe, who has played in all 20 games, but didn't crack the starting lineup until the beginning of January. But, since then, in conference play, he's been averaging 31 and a half minutes per game as a freshman. And in the past four games, he's hit double-digit points, including a 20-point effort against Syracuse and 17 in the win at Duke. So he's got a lot of good volume shooting from two-point range, but he can hit the 3-2. He's a really good guard for a freshman for Pitt. And speaking of freshman guards, you have Carlton Carrington from my hometown, Baltimore, Maryland, who's leading the team as a freshman in minutes per game during conference play, 35 minutes per game. And he started every single game this year, high volume shooter averaging over 10 attempts per game. He's hitting his field goals at a kind of a rough rate, but 39% and it's dipped by five in conference play. So he's struggling to shoot, but he is a serious target from behind the three point line. Again, over half of his shots are coming from behind the arc. So you go up and down this lineup. You got the really strong three point shooters in the forwards and Austin and Blake, Blake Hinson, but you got two guards as well who can definitely take shots from behind the arc is, you know, the only guy you don't really have to worry about is Federico Federico, the, the center who's a, a really intriguing player. He's got a lot of height. Uh, he, he's good when he's going to the hoop, he's making a lot of shots, 
And he's got that insane presence in the paint, which is something that Wake Forest has to watch out for is the offensive rebounds. <laughs> kind of an interesting stat from digging in today, only 4.8 rebounds per game, but over 50% of those are on the offensive boards. So even though he's not a high rebound getter, none of these guys on pit are a high rebound getter. They're all kind of average numbers, but Fetty Federico, you got to watch out for him on the offensive end. So I actually think that that starting five it is going to present some challenges for Wake Forest. Like I don't think this, not that we've ever really indicated as such, but these guys are no cakewalk. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the rebounding point because that sort of brings me to my next thing that I wanted to talk about this pit team is that they do have, you know, some pretty good size. Blake Henson is 6'8", Ishmael Leggett is 6'3", Carlton Carrington, great name, by the way. I always love shouting out great names on this podcast, great name, 6'5". Um, you know, you have Guillermo Diaz-Graham, who's 6'11". Sorry, he's 7 foot. Fede Federico is 6'11". So you have a bunch of guys out there that are capable of, you know, you know, grabbing the rebound at any time. And as a result, Pitt averages the most offensive rebounds per game in the ACC with 12.6 offensive rebounds per game. So, you know, like you said, nobody's out there grabbing 10 rebounds a game. There's a lot of guys around that, like five, five and a half rebounds per game. But that, I think, also indicates what makes them a tough out because you don't necessarily just have to lock down one guy. Pitt is a good rebounding team because all of their players do a good job of rebounding down, as Steve Forbes likes to call it. Their guards do a really good job of that. They had a play. Um, late in the game against Miami, where I forget who their guard, I forget which guard it was, but one of their guards crashed, you know, Pitt was down, I think, five, and they, they hit the shot to cut the lead to two. Their their guard crashed in, snuck in for a big offensive rebound, hit, you know, threw it out to Blake Henson for a really deep three. And that's sort of the effort this Pitt team brings to, you know, both both sides of the glass, but particularly the offensive glass. They, they get a lot of extra possessions. They, you know, are really scrappy kind of gritty team i think they realize that if they play into that identity that is how they can win some games in this conference in addition to having that firepower from blake hinson so yeah i mean wake is gonna have to have a complete rebounding performance in order to come away with this road win i think now ben that almost sounded to me like a key to the game of sorts so so why don't we just go ahead and get into it keys to the game wake forest versus Pitt, 7 p.m wednesday night in Pittsburgh at the Peterson Events Center on ACC Network. Ben, I'll let you get going with the keys for Wake Forest to come home to Winston-Salem with a very much needed W. Yeah, I mean, when you look at at Wake Forest's recent road losses, you know, you can look at whatever statistic you want, but if you sort of, you know, take a mile high view of it, what stands out is that they have not been able to put together two good halves of basketball back-to-back. So against NC State, play a really strong first half. You're leading at the break, and then everything falls apart in the second half. Against Carolina, same thing. Up by one at half on the road against the number three team in the country. Defensive transition goes to pieces at halftime. You fall apart, end up losing that game by 20-plus. So, you know, Wake has, in those two games, Wake has come out with a spark and found a way to piece it together enough to compete for 20 minutes. And then after that, They've been unable to do what is needed to bring the game home down the stretch. So my key for them is to, you're going to have to maintain a high level of play, whatever that looks like statistically for all 40 minutes. You're going to have to find whatever it is you're doing well against this pit team. You mentioned three pointers. I think you're going to have to have a good three point shooting night. You know, obviously you had a really, really tough night against Carolina on the road. You're going to have to shake that off. 
get your shooters back into it, get Hunter Salas some shots. Hopefully Demario Monsanto maybe is able to play a couple more minutes on the road, get him some good looks, Parker Fredrickson, find the things that you do well and do them well for all 40 minutes. I really like that. I mean, one of the things that I mentioned in my, my wake pit preview is that, you know, it hasn't felt like wake Forest has played a full 40 minutes of basketball in a long time. I mean, I'm just trying to think of it. Maybe Boston college kind of, um, it, it's uh, Miami, probably Miami, Miami would be Miami. fair, but it hasn't, especially on the road. Wake Forest has not played a full 40 minutes of good, strong basketball. They've shown it in stretches, but a stretch of good basketball is not going to win you a lot of road games. So Wake Forest is going to have to play that full 40 minutes. I totally agree with you. One of my keys is it's about a player we've talked about a lot tonight. It's Blake Henson. You know, he can get going when he gets hot, he stays hot. And one of the things I, I saw when watching the film, not only uh, of Pitt against Duke and that win at Cameron, but also Pitt against Wake Forest last year in Pittsburgh, is that when Blake Hinson gets hot, he really just starts chucking up the rock without any thought whatsoever. And for the most part, it's going in. I mean, he's hitting 40, 41% of his shots from three-point range, which is already an impressive number. But for a lot of opponents it can feel like that percentage skyrockets when, when Blake Henson starts to feel it. And the thing about his game is from the three point line is he can make a lot of space for himself. Like he does enough with the space you give him, but he can create space for himself. And so my big thing is with Blake Henson, you cannot allow him to get hot like he did against Duke, like he did against wake last year. And so that means you got to defend the three point line really, really hard on him. You got to, you know, feet to the line. And because he's going to try and create space for himself, you at least have to be close enough to him where he's got to create a whole lot of space to get good shot opportunities on. I mean, West Virginia, he went nine to 15 from deep. As I said, the perfect seven to seven at Duke. And when you don't allow him to get hot, when he starts chucking up threes, but the defense is strong, you look at what Syracuse did to Blake Henson when they beat Pitt at Pitt. Blake Henson went three to 12 from three. And then North Carolina, also at Pitt, held him to 4-16 from three. That's a lot of three-point shot attempts. He loves to get those up. But when you can play good defense and not allow him to see the ball go into the net a lot and make him feel like he's invincible and every ball he puts up is going to go through the net, kind of like that Damari Monsanto vibe that he gets when he's confident every shot's going in. Blake Henson seemingly has that as well. You can't allow him to get that vibe going. You got to get stops on him. And if Wake Forest can kind of put something together where it's a three, a 12, a four, 16, heck, even maybe he makes five or six, but he's not going, you know, making seven, eight, nine, 10, three pointers against you. That might just be the difference to keep you in the game. My second key to the game is another kind of consistent thread that we've talked about with Wake Forest, especially on the road. It's the 40 minutes, but it's got to be a commitment to moving the ball. It feels like in these away games, when the ball movement dies for Wake Forest, so usually does the Deacons offense. And it happens a lot on the road. And so keeping that ball movement hot, passing the ball, not playing hero ball, especially on the drive, has an opportunity to open up a lot of shots. And I think it's going to be even bigger against Pitt and their defense. I'll talk about that in a second. It's going to keep them on their toes. But I think schematically moving the ball against Pitt is going to be really, really important. And that's because from the film I've seen at least, Pitt looks like a team that crashes the paint a lot. They give up 
a whole lot of three pointers. Like they, they play heavy to the paint. I wouldn't call it a zone by any stretch, but they don't push the three point line really hard. And I especially saw it against Duke. So if you just look at the statistics, you might think I'm talking like a crazy person because Pitt is one of the best three point defensive teams in the country. Like teams do not shoot the three point ball well against them, but I don't think that's a reflection of the number of opportunities and the number of good opportunities. I think it's more about capitalizing like the shots are going to be there. So Miami, the most recent team that Pitt played a loss of Miami's 63 shot attempts, 31 were from three, nearly 50% of Miami's shot attempts against Pitt were from behind the arc, an incredibly large number but the hurricanes only made 10 of them. I mean, that's 33%. That's pretty good. And Miami won, but you look at 31 shots from three and just 10, it seems like a pretty small number. Duke took 28 threes against Pitt when they lost at Cameron indoor. When Syracuse beat Pitt, 17 attempts, North Carolina, 17 three point attempts. Like a lot of teams get a lot of three point attempts up. And that seems to be the perfect mold for Wake Forest to win a basketball game against Pitt because heck they have a lot of guys who can through shoot the three ball really really well and Wake is a team that is not afraid to shoot the three ball a lot so I think for Wake Forest to beat Pitt and to to get that offense going and it's going to come a lot from the ball movement which I said earlier but it's going to be the three-point shooting I think Wake Forest is going to have to have their three-point hands ready so Parker Fredrickson, Damari Monsanto, Hunter Salas, Andrew Carr, whomever, start your engines and get those three-point hands ready because I think this is going to be a game where you really need them. Yeah, you make you know a couple good points there. I like especially the point you made about not letting Blake Hinson get hot and get going from three because over the past three games, Wake has held their opponents, I think, to seven combined made three-pointers. And this is a game where I think if that sort of so I, th- I think it's like seven total three pointers on over 30 combined attempts. So under 25 percent from the field or on, yeah under 25 percent from the field. North Carolina State didn't make a three against Wake Forest. Carolina just went five of 15. Obviously, there were a lot, were a lot of other defensive issues there. But at the same time, I think you can I think you so severely limit this pits team's ability to be effective on offense if you prevent Blake Henson from doing what he does best. I think when he's getting going, it opens things up for a lot of the other guys because you have to put so much attention on him and you really can't sag off of him at all for, because of how you know long his range is. I think if Wake Forest, I think Wake Forest will see a lot of other things fall into place on the defensive end if they can successfully limit Blake Henson's production. That said, I think you're absolutely right about the three-point shooting as well. I think, you know, this... Wake Forest team, part of their identity is that they're a team that can beat you by a lot of different guys being effective from long range and being effective on offense. And they have so many different weapons on offense. And I think they just need to get back to doing that. You know, they they struggled to do it against Carolina. Even in the first half, They nobody really got their shot going. They, they, they just weren't fluid on offense. And Carolina is a great defensive team. And I think that absolutely has something to do with it. But I think against this Pitt team, like you said, I think the three-pointers will be there. So I think this is a great opportunity for Wake Forest to sort of play within their identity, get back to doing what they do well. But you're right, that only happens if you move the ball. My last key of the game, um, which I touched on earlier, is going to for Wake Forest 
to have a complete rebounding performance. How a team like Pitt beats you is by playing harder than you, playing scrappier than you, earning extra possessions, tiring you out, and sort of, you know, doing all of the intangible, the things that aren't necessarily the most glamorous, doing those things better than you do them, especially in their home environment. So yes, Wake Forest will have the opportunities on offense, though Pitt is a good defensive team, but it may not matter if they're giving, you know, if if Pitt lives up to that average or even exceeds it of about 12 and a half offensive rebounds per game, that could make things a lot more difficult for Wake for a Wake Forest team that has struggled to find their most consistent offensive basketball on the road. So I think the guards are going to need to do a good job of rebounding down. I think Hunter Salas and Cam Hildreth are going to have to have big rebounding games tomorrow. Um, Cam Hildreth is, you know, one of the scrappier and better rebounders on the team. I think his services will be at a premium tomorrow night. So, you know, I think I think you you, you sort of have to beat this pit team at their own game to have a much better chance of coming out of Pittsburgh with a victory. I really like that point. And I also like a word that you used earlier, and it was opportunity. In the context of this season and Wake Forest hopes of going to the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2017, I don't think we're quite yet at must-win territory. But I think it's about as close as you can come without being there. Like this is a way, this is a victory that I think Wake Forest needs to be desperate for. Like hungry, starving, desperate. It is a huge opportunity, as we've said to change the course of your season. It will be the right win at the right time if Wake Forest gets it. And I think it can change the course. I mean, it, I think it really can. And and you said it. I, your point about that, Ben, I think was phenomenal. And so my prediction for this game on this opportunity, it's a last chance. This is the last chance that I give Wake Forest where I give them the benefit of the doubt. You know, I... I've given them the benefit of the doubt on a lot of road games this year. And for the most part, it has not been delivered on Wake Forest has not played good basketball on the road. And every time I think they can, and I can see reasons they will. And for a period of time, they do, they play good basketball until they don't. But I think Wake Forest can win this game on Wednesday. I think they can take this opportunity and change their season. And it's for two reasons. The first, the player I keep coming back to, it's Blake Hinson. He had to go seven of seven from three point to beat Duke and Cameron. I don't think that Blake Hinson is going to be able to go nuclear from three, which is kind of seemingly what it takes for Pitt to win big basketball games. And I think there's good, Wake is going to defensively, if they can get the right defensive sets on him and they can defend him well. I don't think Blake Hinson's going to be able to go absolutely insane from three-point range. And I think that's a huge game changer. The second is the three-point shooting on the other end. It's a key to the game that I talked about. Wake Forest is an incredibly strong three-point shooting team. You have a litany of threats. You can put on both wings. You can put Parker Fredrickson, who has one of the finest three-point shots I've ever watched in my life. And then you have Damari Monsanto, who is the best three-point shooter I've ever seen in person in my life. Those two are incredible three-point shooters. And then you have you have Cam Hildreth, who with his whole hand thing, I don't really know, but he has been a lot better shooting from three. You have Hunter Salas and you have Andrew Carr. You have a lot of guys who can shoot the three ball really well. And the opportunities are going to be there. 
It's not about getting the opportunities. It's about the execution of those opportunities. And I think if Wake can execute on those, then they win the basketball game. This is my last chance for them. If they can't pull this out, then I'm going to really struggle to ride them on the road anymore. But I think they can do it. I think this is the right game at the right time for the Demon Deacons. And man, they better deliver because I'm taking it one last time. Deeks win 72-67 in Pitt Wednesday night. I like that prediction, Essex, and I like the point that you make before that about sort of the benefit of the doubt. Because up to this point, too, generally, I have given Wake Forest the benefit to at least compete on the road. I picked them to, you know, finish with a more competitive game against Carolina. I picked them to beat Florida State on the road. I picked them to beat NC State on the road. And, you know, they didn't deliver in those two games, and they did not end up finishing with a competitive score against Carolina. But, you know, I think that they've had nine days off. I know some of the guys were banged up. Who knows, you know, what nature their injuries are that maybe the, those nine days didn't do too much. But, you know, maybe the, maybe the team just got some much-needed rest. Maybe they got their heads back on straight. But I, I agree with you. I think if Wake Forest loses this game, this itself may not be particularly a must-win game, but it probably feels that way within the program, I would imagine. I would imagine it feels like you don't have any more opportunities to be wasting. You know, you, you look at your remaining road games. you got to win some of them to sort of build up that resume. You know, the, the other ones that come to mind are at Duke and at Virginia, but this is this is the starting block in my mind. This is the starting block to being able to build up to play at that level where you can go win at Virginia, where you can go maybe try to steal a win at Duke. I think it all starts with this game, which is why it circles back to the point I made earlier about if Wake Forest wins, it could be their most important win of the season to this point. Just feels like a monster spot for the Demon Deacons. Seems like this is one that they have to get done. I'm sure the team, like you said, is, you know, playing with a sense of urgency, hungry. I, I think the game is going to be a little bit more high scoring than you predicted personally, because I think I think in order for Wake Forest to win, I think I think if they win, it'll be because they got their offense going. So I think that's my prediction. I'm going to I'm going to also pick, you know, a fairly close game I'm gonna go a little bit closer than you even. I think I'm going to go 83 80 Wake Forest. Before we close things out, I actually like that point about winning with offense, because if it does turn into a three point show, then it, it, it might just be Wake Forest three point shooters battling it out against Blake Henson, which I will say would be thrilling basketball to watch, but uh, maybe a more clinical finish and, and a bit of an easier win a la Virginia Tech at home would be preferable for Wake Forest. But regardless, we've said it about as darn near close to a must win as you can get a big win, an opportunity to change the course of your season. We've had a lot of, I guess, buzz phrases about this game on the podcast. Wednesday night in Pittsburgh, 7 o'clock, the Panthers against the Wake Forest Demon Deacons on ACC Network. We will have all the coverage after that game, a lot to discuss, I'm sure, and get things ready for Syracuse at home on Saturday. Thank you so much for joining us on the Boots on the Ground pod. We'll see you all then. Alongside Ben Conroy, I've been Essex there. Thanks.